Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. Sound of an old car. Francis. I won't be shy about telling you folks at home I'm a tad anxious over this next stop. When we get there, you'll know why. However, I'm also happy to report that our fearless leader, Leslie, found her way back to the hotel last night, and we... We couldn't be more thrilled. Now, it should be up here on the left, right next to the old car wash and the road you take to get out to the trash repository. There it is. Isn't that something? I feel, I feel like I've been playing hooky for 40 years. Most would say I have been. Let's check it out. Birds chirping. Francis. I think I can wholeheartedly say there was never a stage more terrifying than this one behind me. High school. There's nothing unusual or particularly profound about that. It's something we all experience and experience differently. Today, this is the remedial high school. At least that's what they say. We've been here for a solid two hours and haven't seen any kind of a sign with the school's name or really any indication of a staff or students at all. There's cars in the parking lot. Look, here's a candy bar wrapper. You know, so obviously people come here. Before this was a place of education, it was the largest crematorium in the Northeast, built by the Wallace Brewster Stove Company. Before that, it was a toaster factory, also by Wallace Brewster. Before the toaster factory, it was a field where they found these large stones in a circular design, and buried in the ground were human and animal bones. Archaeologists believe it was a sacred space used for ritualistic killings, even cannibalism. But during my stay, it was New Bridgeburg High, home of the swirling oak leaves. Leslie here, let's do like a yearbook montage with jivey jazz piano. Francis. There's an old saying out there which typically finds favor among middle-aged despondency and doom wedding toast about high school being the best years of your life. And I think to some degree that's true, because high school is a time of self-discovery. It's also a time of confusion. A time when we begin to ask the difficult questions and drastically alter what little we've learned of ourselves up to this point in an unwavering pursuit to get some. This is the main hallway, which we did our best back then to avoid because this is where we have the administrative office. I ran a pretty successful joke writing ring that I had to keep under wraps. I would write jokes for my classmates. You know, stuff to yell out in the middle of a lesson and make everybody cut up. Stuff like the teacher would ask, what's the remainder? And the kid would say, you alone on a Saturday night. You know, real personal stuff that would cut a body deep. But I grew out of that. And for those that were strapped for cash or without a decent trade, I'd give them some funny sounding words like snuffin' poodle or cluck luck, which was a popular form of entertainment at the time. 
At one point, I had a team of three guys and one girl writing for me, which by radio writing standards of the 40s was an equal hiring ratio, and everybody was happy. Did you see that? I thought I saw someone at the other end of the hall. Probably just a reflection. Basketball bouncing. Francis. This is the old gymnasium. I was never really into sports, but Leslie here thought it would be nice to get some shots of a man of advancing years struggling to achieve something as simple as making a basket. In this arena, I mostly remember the pep rallies and the pressure to chant our fight song along with my fellow students. Same with church. Something I remember prominently about growing up was constantly being expected to sing. Everybody was singing. Always. I was always in knots about singing. At my grandfather's funeral, my mother, out of the blue, called me up to the pulpit to sing a song, as if I just had something prepared and whatnot. For five minutes, I went through all the corporate radio jingles I could think of. Snappy's little grazier push mower, which I did in the voice of Snappy the Turtle. I even threw in the Pledge of Allegiance, and nobody seemed to notice. Afterward, everybody shook my hand and thanked me. School desk creaking. Francis. This was my desk for shorthand with Mr. Beecham. And I mean that literally. This is the actual desk I sat in for shorthand at 8 o'clock with Mr. Beecham. If you look right up under the writing surface here, you'll find a sampling of my silver-tongued adolescent wit. Can you make that out? Can you make out what it says? This sucks. See, I got the X in there for sucks, which displays a natural talent for shorthand. It was donated to the town museum a little over 10 years ago, where it was auctioned off in 1976 to a Dorothy Lacey of Chautauqua Hollow, New York, 23 East Falls Road. Write her a letter. Tell her you heard her name on television. And Miss Lacey was kind enough to lend us the desk in hopes of recreating a little magic from the past. Because standing right out there in the hallway is Mr. Beecham himself. Now, I haven't seen Mr. Beecham since I graduated out of here in 1944. The producers tried to pull one over on me by trying to set this whole thing up as a surprise. And I gotta hand it to them, they did a pretty good job of keeping it from me. So without further achoo, let's get this little experiment rolling. America, I'd like you to welcome my high school shorthand teacher, Mr. Charles Beecham. Sound of squeaking wheels. Sound of mechanical pumps. Francis. Is that... Is that an iron lung? When I found out, you couldn't have mentioned that part? Good afternoon, Mr. Beecham. You look well-rested. Can he hear me? No, he can't hear me. I gotta say, he looks shorter. I mean it. I know he's lying down, but he looks like an abbreviated version of how I remember him. Can I knock on the window here? Oh, don't knock. Mr. Beecham, I was hoping we could do some of the old exercises. I think that would be fun for the audience back home. Francis. What's the appropriate symbol for that pump sound? The beeps I got, I just need that inflating sound. 
Maybe, maybe a medium-sized hook? I'm not entirely sure if any of that was accurate or even coherent, but I'm having a mental image of a medium-sized hook. Sounds of traffic. Francis. Well, now that we've completed our lessons for the day, it's only natural that we put down the books and take in this fresh autumn air. I've always loved walking down this street because the bakery sat up there on the corner of Kessel. You could smell it really good in the mornings. Fresh rolls, chocolate layer cake, old-fashioned vanilla. Little did we know at the time it was a front for the Lombardo crime family. They operated here for a short while in the 30s. It was kind of a pit stop outside the city on Route North. Internally, the organization referred to it as the Sweet Shop. Now over here, we've got a real treat. This is Norville's Barber Shop. This is where I got my first haircut. Well, my first haircut that wasn't given by my mother. My mother didn't have the best visual perception, so for the first several years of my life, I had extremely uneven bangs. I actually developed a wry neck just trying to walk straight. Come on, let's go inside. Francis. Roger? Hi, Roger. It's nice to meet you. I'm Francis. Roger. Oh, we know all about you. Francis. Yeah, well, I guess you kind of do in a way. Suppose everybody does. Now, now Norval was your grandfather. Roger. That's correct. Francis. Leslie, get a shot of this old ad clipping over here on the wall. Look at this. Norville's Barbershop. Norval Coleman, proprietor. And look what it says here. Four and a half chairs, no waiting. Well, I'd say that's pretty darn good service. Roger. And Dad, Dad was a big fan of yours. Francis. Well, I gotta tell you, that's a relief. <laughs> I see a lot of pointy objects around here. You know, it seems you make a few affectionate wisecracks over the years and it feels the whole town turns on you. Roger. Well, you're always welcome here. Now let's get you up in a chair. Now what are you looking to do today? Francis. Well, clearly you haven't surveyed the land too carefully. Trees are pretty thin these days. Roger. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. Francis. You're the artist. But seriously, Roger, just a light trim on the sides. I've got a roast next week. Actually, if you could just hold the scissors, that would be great. Roger. We'll set you up. Sound of scissors. Francis. So, heard any good stories lately? I remember when this place was filled, it was quite the sewing circle. I mean, this crew was a chatty bunch. And Norval, oh, he was the worst. My father would bring me in when I was younger. I'd sit right over there in the corner. Used to be a leather sofa sat right over there. And oh, they would gossip and cackle all afternoon. And Norval, he would always have the juiciest little tidbit. But he never gave up his source, not once. He was honorable that way, through and through, really. I heard your father was the same. I never knew him, though. Stanley, right? I was sorry to hear of his passing. He was a grade behind me. Now, I see you're putting foil in my hair. What's that for? Roger. It helps strengthen the follicles. Francis. Is that right? Well, it goes to show you can't stifle ingenuity. How's it look, Leslie? Is that good? Should I, like, a profile here? I gotta tell you, I can feel it working. It's like a, it's like a little tingling. 
Well, look at you, Roger. Chip off the old Norval block. You know, you wouldn't think of it from the look of the front, but you've really, you know, modernized this place, made it your own. I'm particularly fond of the fern in the corner. I don't know what the hell that thing is. You know, I always felt this place could benefit from a bit of softness. I'm sure your father would be proud. Roger. Do you remember a woman named Lucille Steinkamp? Francis. Steinkamp. I went to school with a Lucy Steinkamp. I haven't heard that name in years, though. Roger. Do you remember the last time you saw her? Francis. Oh, wow. I guess that well, that would have been back in high school. Actually, no, that's, that's not true. I met Lucy in Santa... No, in San Francisco. But that was... Ooh, that was... It was over 20, 25 years ago. That was back when I was working the Blue Eye. She was in town visiting. She actually came to see my set. You know Lucy? Roger. She's my mother. Francis. No kidding. Well, I'll be. So Stanley Coleman went and married Lucy Steinkamp. How do you like that? Roger. She left New Bridgeburg after Dad passed. Francis. And losing someone close is never easy. Roger. She spoke pretty highly of you, though. Francis. Lucy was a lovely girl. Her father worked for Connecticut Power, if I'm not mistaken. They had an office on Oakwood. Roger. Hey, look. We both have cleft chins. Francis. Huh, yeah. How about that? Roger. When my mother left San Francisco, did she ever write you? Francis. I, uh... I don't... <clears throat> right? No, I, I don't believe so. Roger. The reason I ask is because after Dad died, I found a box of letters addressed to you. Francis. So you ever do any of those perms? Or are those still in? <laughs> Roger. Seems she wrote to you over a dozen times telling you she was pregnant. Francis. I, uh... <laughs> that's... <clears throat> Pregnant, hmm? Roger. In one of them, she mentioned trying to reach you at the club. Said she got some guy, but could hear you in the background say, Hang up the phone, it's that girl I knocked up. Francis. Ha, <laughs> ha, well, you know, uh, <laughs> joke, joker. I'm a, I'm a joker, a jokester. Why, uh, what, <clears throat> why do you ask? Roger. I was just curious. Sounds of traffic. Francis. Yeah, I, uh... <clears throat> just give me, give me, give me a moment. Listen, this... This isn't working. Gotta stop doing these things where we go and talk to people. I'm serious. Each one is more dramatic than the last. I, I don't think I can take much more. I mean, don't you f people research? What the shit does my staff even do all day? You go in for a haircut and to exchange a few innocent yarns from your past and you walk out with a fing kid! F <sighs> he what? He put highlights in my hair? Hot highlights? R bring, bring the camera in here. Oh my god. God, I look like a South Beach nightclub owner. Little jerk. 
sure he picked that one up from his mother. What? What do you mean there's something shaved into the back of my head? Well, what is it? A dollar sign? Oh my god, I can feel it. Well, this is great. Just great. All right, that's it. No more people. We need to get away from the people. We get out of town. We need to get as far away from town as possible. No good is coming from town. F Lucy fucking Steinkamp. <sighs> okay, let's run through this. Well, how do I look? I think you did a pretty good job. Sounds of an old car on a dirt road. Francis. No trip to New Bridgeburg would be quite complete without a leisurely afternoon drive through the countryside with nobody else around. Like the ones my family and I used to take after church. Oh, those were wonderful days. An opportunity to marvel at New England's vibrant autumn colors. Photographer Seamus Browning once wrote, the Native Americans have a saying, the shadows are longest before they disappear doesn't have a thing to do with Connecticut. In fact, he was high on peyote when he said it. There was a restaurant up the road a ways called the Old Watermill Restaurant. To get to go was always a treat for us. One time, my old man accused the waitress of stealing the gristle off his filet. I have this image of the chef yelling at my father, trying to convince him that the filet is a lean cut. My father was adamant, even though he didn't know what he was talking about. That's just the kind of man he was. He threw a baked potato against the wall and called the chef a meat fondler. Whatever that meant. I remember at one point a woman from another table putting her hand on my shoulder. That always stuck with me for some reason. Driving up to the restaurant, though, we would always make sure to cross the old McIntyre covered bridge coming up here. Isn't that something else? Now tell me, have you ever seen a more picturesque bridge in all your life? The trees, just marvelous. A famous artist by the name of Bob Rowland once did a painting of it, but lost it before anyone could see it. The bridge was named for Samuel McIntyre, one of the founders of New Bridgeburg. He left town shortly after it was established to pursue a bizarre crusade aimed at straightening all of the country's rivers. He was an efficient man and felt that most rivers could be more direct than they were. Apparently, he was... Pretty outspoken on the matter, almost to an annoying degree. So everybody was, you know, pretty happy when he left town. Still, it remains a proud and cherished symbol of New Bridgeburg. Faint sound of running water. Francis. This is probably one of my favorite spots in all of New Bridgeburg. This is the Bartol River and it flows down from those mountains behind me in the distance. My father would bring me here Saturday mornings to go fishing. <laughs> Sometimes we would fish all day. We never really caught all that much. Oh, I'm sure there was the occasional landing of a big one, but it was never about the fishing. It was about the peacefulness and sharing something with my father. Although it didn't take many trips for me to realize that in his eyes, my sole purpose was to hand him things he could easily reach himself. Our conversations were limited to single words, which usually suggested the thing he wanted me to hand him. He said he was teaching me, but 
Honestly, I felt more like an undervalued assistant or an end table. Still, it was the gentle plasticity of the area I found so comforting. Listen to that. <clears throat> Calm of the water and its trickling, steadfast tranquility. There's a beautifully unbiased essence to nature, similar to childlike wonderment, which continues to resonate in the youthful spirit of this aging man, still empowered by the impossible. I think we're all guilty of taking it for granted as our lives. Sounds of people in the water. Sheriff's voice. Okay, boys, nice and easy now. Francis. Oh, look, fellow, uh, fellow anglers. Is that the sheriff? <laughs> How do you like that? Town's so sleepy, even the law has time to sit back and cast a line. Sheriff. Okay, boys, set him down here. Francis. Looks like they, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, looks like they caught a big one. What is that, a, uh, ooh, about five, six? Is that, uh, is that a body? <sighs> Son of a bitch. Sheriff. Let's fire up the crane. Get that out of there. Sound of a crane. Okay, boys, hoist her on out of there. Francis. Oh, look, they're pulling... They're pulling something out of the water. What is that? What is, is that a car? No. Oh, it's a plane. Sheriff. Steady now. Francis. Leslie, follow me. Sheriff. All right, boys, open her up. Plane door being pried open and water spilling out. Francis. What are all those bushels wrapped up? Are... Oh, my God. Are those drugs? They're drugs, aren't they? They're drugs. Of course they're drugs. Sheriff. Today's catch of the day, boys. A hundred kilos of Colombian pixie dust. Sound of trucks approaching in the distance. Francis. Look at that. Huh. Must be the local news. Machine gun fire breaks out. Sheriff. Take cover, it's the cartel! Francis. Shit, get down! Come for the drugs! Sound of police officers being shot. Francis. Oh my god, it's the hare! They think I'm a rival trafficker! Indiscernible shouting in Spanish. Francis. They're just highlights! from my illegitimate son for abandoning his mother. They're revenge highlights. Gunfire ceases. Faint sound of sheriff pleading. Francis, whispering. Nobody make a sound. I think they're talking to the sheriff. Yeah, they shot him. The sheriff's dead, they're all dead. Okay, time to go. Everybody get in the car. Leslie, get in the car. Men shouting in Spanish. Sounds of gunfire. Sounds of car starting. Francis. Go, 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 go! Get the f to the airport! Touching orchestral music. Flight attendant. Another martini, Mr. O'Donnell? Francis. Yeah, yeah, keep them coming. You know, just park the cart behind me, would you? Flight attendant. Mr. O'Donnell, are you okay? You 
you appear to be bleeding, Francis. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's not my blood. Well, there you have it, folks. My hometown and all its magnificence. The people and places and events that were so instrumental in my formative years. I'm reminded of the old maxim of small-town values. Hard work, determination, and a sense of community. The fundamental ingredients in a well-balanced upbringing. I'm also thinking of a few other choice words, like cesspool and witness protection. Can I get a hot towel over here? A famous poet with a recognizable name once said, A person's home follows them wherever they go, like a fully furnished trailer. I'm not entirely sure what that means. In fact, now that I think about it, I believe I got that off of a promotional pamphlet or something. Who knows? But looking back on it all, my memories of home remain the fondest I own. And the most disturbing. Just utterly terrifying. Here's to going back. Flight attendant. The captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scovel. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at casualfridaypodcast.org or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.